Welcome to the Kentuckian, folks. Glad to have you with us. Howdy, y'all. Welcome back to the Kentuckian. So glad that you've joined us this episode. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about gun control. Now, I wanted to wait a little bit after the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas, um, and you know the other shootings that have happened recently to let tempers and emotions cool a little bit. However, at the same time, we need to talk about this subject. Um, I wanted to strike while the iron was hot, if you will, and uh, both with these shootings and, of course, the political and tyrannical gun control that's coming out of Congress and the tyrants in Congress and Washington in general. We need to talk about this. This is one of the most dangerous and fundamental issues of human rights. It has come up time and time again, and uh, we need to really discuss some of these things. Now, this will be a bit more informative and a bit more conceptual, however, so we're not going to jump into some of the specific legislation that has been going through Congress. We'll do that at a later time, uh, likely. But this is still very important. We're going to talk about some things that perhaps a lot of people don't know, even if they perhaps support the Second Amendment. There's things they don't realize. Um, so the first thing we want to, I want to talk about is some of the problems with current gun control arguments. So there's kind of three main arguments that I talked about. Of course, I'm sure you can find more, but we only have so much time. And one of these in particular, I'm going to go into some detail. Uh, so bear with me. And I think you'll probably find it very informative. Perhaps if you know some about guns, if you know nothing or very little about guns, you'll definitely find it informative. Um, some of these things might be relatively obscure if you've never gotten really into guns. Maybe you just have some for self-defense or they've always been around, but you aren't. It isn't a hobby, per se. Anyway, the first argument that I wanted to talk about was a common one. And of course, these arguments, you may hear some you may hear this exact phrase or you may hear something very similar to it. So it's a way of sort of generalizing it just by way of reminder there. So the first one I want to talk about is, well, we need to keep weapons of war off our streets. Well, there are several issues with this argument. Um, when they talk about weapons of war, they're talking about what they also term assault weapons. A lot of times, you'll hear that term come up a lot when you're talking about when they are talking about gun control, uh, when they talk about weapons of war, and so on. Now, let's be clear from the beginning: assault weapon isn't even a real term. Um, assault weapon has been, or assault rifle is. There's never really been a definition of it, to my knowledge. If, it, if there ever has been, it's a very obscure military definition. They There are sometimes um, military definitions like combat rifles and infantry rifles, but I've never heard of assault rifle any as anything other than a political term, ever. Um, as far to the, the extent of my knowledge, assault rifle is completely manufactured. Assault weapon is completely manufactured. Even if it isn't completely manufactured, it's never been in the mainstream, and it is, it's basically a fake term now, even if it originally wasn't. It was some really obscure thing. Again, as far as I know, that is not the case and never has been the case. Now, getting back to that, the idea of assault weapon or assault rifle isn't a real term today. It just isn't. Um, what they're most likely referring to, and also, before I move on, uh, to help illustrate that, find a video or ask somebody that talks about an assault rifle and ask them to define what an assault rifle is. The, the, I believe it was old Alex Chipman who they were trying to get into um, head of the ATF 
and during the congressional hearings, he couldn't even define what an assault weapon was. And uh, some of the some of the congressmen there had really pinned him down on that. You will see that it's very consistent because it is an ambiguous, undefinable term that's simply used for politics. It is not a real term among the gun community or anybody that is not trying to do something political. It just, I mean, really, that's that's about the the extent of it. It's just a political term that has been kind of shoved into our vernacular. What they're most likely referring to when they talk about assault weapons or assault rifles are AR-style semi-automatic rifles. And by the way, AR does not stand for assault rifle. You will hear people say that. It stands for Armalite rifle. Armalite being the first company to make a semi-automatic rifle in that style. However, it is just that, a style. Um, semi-automatic, and again, I'll, I'll go over this real quick. Um, some people may not know, some people may not. A semi-automatic rifle is a rifle that uh, is a, a cartridge is fired or a bullet is fired every time the trigger is pulled without a manual cycling of the action. So you, you pull the trigger and fire around. The way the gun is designed, another that casing that the bullet was in was ejected, the one that was just shot, and a new one is put into the chamber and is ready to fire. Okay? That's what a semi-automatic rifle is. And the rifle being the kind of cartridge it uses and so on. Um, thinking about that, that's what semi-automatic is. Automatic. You will hear automatics thrown around, automatic rifles, or semi-automatic automatic rifle, or, or, or I've heard fully automatic semi-auto rifle, that sort of nonsense. Automatic, an automatic rifle is where you hold the trigger down, and it continuously cycles and fires. If you take a semi-automatic rifle and you pull the trigger and hold the trigger down, it will only fire one projectile. If you have an, an automatic weapon... You can hold the trigger down and it will keep firing. Uh, and one thing, one element that I want to bring up real quick that can bring some confusion is you will sometimes hear certain handguns referred to as automatic. That is a terminology that isn't necessarily inaccurate. It's talking about an automatic action pistol, um, basically. But it's kind of an old term, and semi-automatic really is more accurate for the way people think about automatic and semi-automatic today. All right. Hopefully that doesn't confuse you too much. An AR or an AR-style rifle is simply a semi-automatic rifle that uh, generally has like a pistol group grip, so basically a grip that comes down and you can kind of hold it. Um, it's generally magazine-fed. It has a certain style about it, right? It's the it's the black rifle that you, you see in, in movies and video games and is commonly called by some people an assault rifle. That's basically what an AR-style rifle is. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of different rifles in different, slightly different styles and by different companies. But it's not an assault rifle. It's just a particular style, a very popular style of semi-automatic rifle. Now, they talk about weapons of war. I want to talk about this. Most ARs that are in civilian possession or AR-style rifles are not even military rifles. Um, military rifles, like say for the U.S. military, generally are maybe very similar in some ways, but generally uh, modern infantry equipment and uh, infantry weapons, a rifle will have will be semi-automatic, but it will also have the ability to fire 
Um, basically, there's a little switch that changes the way the the gun action the gun's action is a little bit so that it can fire um, fully automatic or also three round burst, which is where you hold the trigger down and three projectiles are fired, but no more than that. Most ARs are not military or weapons of war. However, even if they were, and and some people may argue, well, they're very similar. I can understand that argument. Um, they do use generally use the same cartridges uh, or bullets. But even if they were military rifles, ARs, the ones that they always talk about, are actually not as dangerous as other types of firearms. Like I said, this is going to be partly informative. Some people may know this, some people may not. There's actually, and most people don't know this, but there's been a long, or a lot of people don't know this, there's been a long-running debate in both the gun community, more as a matter of, of, of interest and hobby, and even in the military, that the cartridge that the modern American military rifles and most of the free world uses and that cartridge is 5.56 by 45. Usually you'll just hear it called 5.56 or 5.56 NATO because NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, they sort of standardized where they're basically all the militaries in NATO use this cartridge for supply reasons and so on and so forth. There's a, a lot of arguments. And honestly, I am on this side uh, and most people probably would be, uh, except for a lot of guys in the military, that. The 5.56 by 45 or 5.56 NATO is actually underpowered for military use. The new rifle that the military adopted for trials has a significantly larger cartridge, and they have talked about upping the cartridge size and power for years, and the military being the military, it's kind of come and go, and they've never really done anything on it. To give you an example of this, before the standardization of the M16 rifle, and that came out in, in during Vietnam or during the Vietnam War, and uh, the military still uses a modern variant of the M16, the M4, which, again, is similar to most AR-style um, rifles. Before they adopted the M16, the military used the M14. Now, the M14 was an update of the M1 Garand, which you may have heard of if you study World War II history at all. That was the main infantry rifle during World War II. The M14 had a 30-round magazine. And this was adopted in, uh, I didn't think to check this, I think it was 1949 or 1947, the M14 was. Uh, it was an update of the M1 Garand. It had a 30-round magazine that it could use. Sometimes they had 20-round magazines, but they had 30-round magazines for them. And they were, it was chambered in a far larger and more powerful round than 5.56. And that's 308. It was chambered in 308 or 7.62 NATO. Uh, oh, and it was semi-automatic. And it had fire selection for fully automatic fire, a three-round burst. By the way, that's why it's hard to get a hold of M14s today because they basically all are how the government defines some machine guns. And so it's possible at times to get a hold of them, but you have to have like a class three firearms license and a bunch of other stuff. They are far more powerful than the than what rifles the military uses today. Far more powerful. 308 or 7.62 NATO is a much more powerful, larger round that does far more damage than 5.56 NATO. Like I said, 5.56 has been argued for a long time that it is not powerful enough to be a practical military round um, in a lot of ways. Now, I mean, it's still a bullet. It still does damage, but uh, 5.56 is very similar if you've ever heard of 2.23 and its predecessor 2.22, which were actually designed as varmint rounds for taking out like medium-sized animals and, and kind of pest animals. That's what 5.56 basically is. That is not the most powerful round out there or even available. The argument that weapons of war 
um, are equivalent with AR-style semi-automatic rifles, or that military weapons are even necessarily more powerful than than the kind of firearms that people can get a hold of today, is they're just ludicrous arguments. One thing that you must realize is that most of the people arguing for gun control have little to no knowledge about guns and often say things that are the opposite of true, whether um, from ignorance or on purpose. And as I mentioned before, I'm saying some things that will likely be well known to some of my audience, but not necessarily all. And it's important that you understand this because this is the basis of many of the, the most common and prominent arguments for gun control. So the military, for many years, used rounds that were far more powerful than what we use today. And we've been using this for a long time, but even now they've tried to replace it. you got to realize, like, well, if it's if other rounds are so much more powerful, then why doesn't the military, military choose them? Military is not exactly a fast mover on those sorts of things. There's a lot of politics. There's a lot of all sorts of things that keep the best equipment from getting into the hands of their soldiers. And there's arguments that could theoretically justify 5.56 instead of 308, despite it being not as powerful from a more of a military logistics standpoint and some other things. We're not getting into that right now, although that could be fun to discuss sometimes. Now, before we move on, I should say something. And I, I'm going to be frank, and I hope this doesn't bother anyone, but I need to make this point. Um, and this is particularly for my listeners that are not as familiar with firearms. If someone wanted to do far more damage in some act of evil, like the acts of evil that we have seen recently, an AR-style semi-automatic rifle is actually not a very good option for the maximum damage and maximum devastation against innocent people. For example, shotguns do far, far more damage than, a, than an AR does. They're cheaper, their ammo is cheaper, and far more devastating. If someone really, and they're semi-automatic shotguns that can hold as, as many or more rounds than your average AR in some cases, more than 30 rounds, and in rare cases, it's just kind of impractical sometimes. But they can still hold a lot of ammunition, and their their shots do far more damage. Especially at close range, where these sorts of things generally almost always take place. The cultural perception that ARs are some sort of super weapon that are ultra-powerful, and they just... <laughs> they're designed to kill uh, what I'm trying to remember some of the, the crazy ways I've heard it described, but they're designed to, to be extra devastating or whatever. It's just fantasy. That's just not the case. Again, we're not getting into all the reasons why and why does the military use this as opposed to other firearms and so on and so forth. And by the way, the military does use shotguns, um, but generally for close range because shotguns um, range is not as, as good as, as like rifles. Anyway, they're just not this super powerful ultra weapon that people act like they are. There's many rounds out there and many firearms that can do a lot more damage than an AR. And many rounds and many weapons, or I say weapons, really firearms is better because they're tools, but uh, many firearms that are also available with rounds that are also available and commonly available. In fact, like I said, with shotgun, that's really, I think, a good example because shotgun ammo is way, is one of the few ammos that is cheaper um, and still useful for kind of any anything that needs to be done. Um, shotgun ammo is relatively cheap compared to most ammos. It's easier to make. Um, there's not as many controls that are needed. Um, it's not as refined of an ammo. Rifle ammo has to meet certain specifications. Shotguns are kind of a rough-and-tumble kind of gun. They can hold up to a lot generally if they're well-made. And their ammo can be kind of cheaply made, and yet it's extremely powerful 
And shotguns are probably, or at least used to, I would say almost definitely, and probably even now, as common or more common than ARs. It's just the way it is, and hopefully this is kind of informing some people that may not have known this and a good reminder to those that do. Now, another important factor here is that contrary to what the former vice president and many others have said, the Second Amendment is about having military-grade weapons in the hands of civilians. The Second Amendment is worded explicitly to indicate that. Now, there are all sorts of hoops that people jump through and lies that they tell to try and make the Second Amendment mean something else, but the wording of the Second Amendment is, as I mentioned before, explicit. People are supposed to have weapons or firearms or whatever, the, whatever equipment is necessary to be able to hold their own against the military. Now, you couple the wording of the Second Amendment itself being extremely clear and extremely to the point. You throw in the historical context of the people that wrote the, the Second Amendment just coming out of a war fought by, at least at the beginning, mostly civilians with local militias and things like that, using military-grade weapons against the most powerful empire in the world and the most powerful tyrannical government in the world. And the only way they were able to do that was because they had the same weapons that the military did. And you throw in the writings of the Founding Fathers and what was common at the time, what was generally owned at the time that nobody even really had questions about. The argument that the Second Amendment is for military-grade weapons is, pun intended, bulletproof. <laughs> uh, I, I hope you appreciate what I did there. Um, but it is. It, it's just there is no legitimate argument that the Second Amendment is not about ha the civilian-owning military-grade weapons. And we're not talking about that in specific right now, but that's sort of a, a brief rundown of that argument. Now, another argument that uh, is made, why should a person have access to such powerful equipment? They can do so much damage. And this may not be something that is made as directly as people sort of indicate that they you know, believe it or it's sort of a thing that may stick in the back of their minds. And we've sort of already addressed that, right? It's so that they can stand against a tyrannical government. However, I believe me, I understand the apprehension of the thought that someone could go in to some store, to some school or whatever, and commit some act of evil very easily if they, if they had a mind to. But, and I do not mean this to be offensive, but we need to be mature and realize that the world is a dangerous place whether we choose to acknowledge that danger or not. There are always evil people that do evil things, and taking away law-abiding citizens' guns will not stop that. But consider this. Would you rather have equipment because, I mean, admittedly, a shotgun, if it is used for evil, can do a lot of damage. An AR, if it's used for evil, can do a lot of damage. But consider this. Would you rather have that sort of equipment only available to those that are willing to break the law, say someone who's desperate and crazy enough to go shoot up a place, or the government, those are the only two entities that get to have it, and a government, I might add, that has constantly showed itself to be untrustworthy and incompetent, even in the face of such situations, many shootings being preventable if the government had worked correctly, and also considering that the government can uh, do whatever it wants, if you will, whereas a criminal can be stopped, right? A criminal is one person. A government is a giant entity that holds legal sway over people, and even though it may take illegal actions, it's much harder to stop a, a government than it is a single criminal. Again, a government that is actually messed up multiple times in, well, of course, just about every way, but also specifically when it comes to shootings, like the shooting at the church in Texas, 
where the guy was supposed it was supposed to have been reported that he was not allowed to purchase a firearm and the government just didn't do their job. That's one example of, of many. So would you rather have that sort of equipment that, if used for the wrong purpose, can do a lot of damage, only available to those willing to break the law or the government also willing to break the law far too often, instead of yourself? Even if the government was perfect, there was no chance of tyranny and other such, you know, fantasies like that, right? The, the, the government, everybody there had perfect intentions. Everybody, there was no chance of corruption, right? If men were angels, basically, um, it still takes time for the police to get somewhere. Honest mistakes will still be made because we're humans and we make mistakes. See, what we have to realize is that pushing our personal responsibility for our own safety onto someone else does not make us any safer. It actually almost always makes us less safe, but hey, I mean, you feel safer, right? So that makes up for it. You may have stripped your rights away and helped strip the rights away from everyone else, and you're actually far less safe, but you feel safer. You feel like you did something good. Also consider that there's a lot of dangerous equipment available to everyone, including the hands of those that are evil, including crazy people, including just plain evil people. Equipment that is far more devastating than guns. Most of us drive cars, for example. Far, far more people die to car accidents than to someone with a gun, and we have seen cars used in acts of evil several times already in terrorist attacks of, or, or that sort of thing. Already, many times. One of the most devastating terrorist attacks was the Boston Marathon bombing a few years back in 2014, if I remember correctly. And what did they use for that? As the name implies, they used bombs. They used pressure cooker bombs. You probably don't know this. I realize not a lot of people do necessarily, but explosives can be made from household items and chemicals. Explosives are actually fairly easily manufactured. It can still be pretty dangerous if you don't know what you're doing, but the actual chemicals needed, basically anybody can get a hold of them. A lot of people may have them already at their house. Do we ban all of those, all the ingredients that might possibly be used to make some sort of explosive device? Do we ban pressure cookers? Do we ban the nails, that the, the size nails that these lunatics put in their pressure cooker bombs for maximum effect? One of the most devastating disasters in American history were the 9-11 attacks. And what did they use? They used airplanes. You think they could have done the same amount of damage if they'd walked into the World Trade Center with ARs? No, of course not. But hopefully you see my point. Taking away guns does nothing but disarm the law-abiding citizen and takes away his God-given right to self-defense. It actually makes us much less safe as a whole. Countless crimes are prevented or stopped every year by the defensive use of firearms, but that rarely makes it into the news because it doesn't fit the current agenda. The blessings and the good that is done with guns far outweighs the evil. It stops far more... Uh, murders and robberies and, and all sorts of other violent crimes than are committed with these sorts of, of tools. Now, one other argument, we're not going to spend much time on it, but is that the Founding Fathers didn't know how weapons technology would develop, right? Well, if they saw the kind of guns we had today, they wouldn't... I'm not going to spend much time on this one. It's pretty ridiculous. Early versions of automatic weapons were available at the time of the Revolution, Cannon were commonly available to the citizen and were commonly owned by citizens. Cannon? The modern artillery of the era? The idea is preposterous. That, oh, well, they didn't know that weapons would get more devastating. Weapons already were devastating. It's a stupid argument. 
Now, you may have heard this before, but something to think about. Um, I'd say it's very accurate. If the Second Amendment only applies to muskets, then the First Amendment only applies to quill and ink and parchment, right? And that's sort of the thing, right? It All the amendments are designed to go on into perpetuity, and the idea that the Second Amendment as the only one is the one outdated is just stupid. Now, there's also a real danger during times after a tragedy like a school shooting um, for the manipulation of people's emotions. You may hear this a lot. Just do something. That's not an argument, and yet it can hold great weight at times like these. There's a lot that could be said here, but let me ask you. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this. Let me ask you this, though. When it comes to any decision, do you really make a good decision when you're extremely emotional, upset, grieving, and so on? When you're emotionally compromised, especially if it's something that you know very little about? I think that's a fair question to ask. Self-control is not exactly common in this society anymore. And why would we let emotions and feeling rule the day when we're considering one of the most important human rights in world history? I mean, how many times do we... A grieving parent, they should grieve. They shouldn't get involved in politics, especially if it's obvious that they're not thinking straight, as would be understandable... If, if their child has passed away for some reason or some other similar position. We understand this. Why do we ignore it when it comes to gun control? The media specializes in manipulation. We see it in many other areas. It's no different here. If they can rule your perception, the way that you perceive the information that you take in, your filter, if you will, then they can rule you. It won't matter what facts you see or don't see, what lies they may eventually tell. If they can control your perception of reality, which they can often do by emotional manipulation, then truth no longer matters. It doesn't matter what you see because you've already decided what the result is going to be because your perception has been manipulated and controlled. And again, that is often done through emotion more than anything. Truth just won't matter at that point. Please focus on truth above all things. Desire it. Search for the truth. Not for what you want to be true. Not for what you hope isn't true. Search for truth and then make your decisions based off that. Don't make your decision and then try and conform truth to fit it. And I briefly want to talk about some considerations of the real issues at play here. There was a time in this country when firearms were regularly in the hands of children. They were brought to school. They were shown off. They weren't even locked up. And yet school shootings and other sorts of mass shootings didn't happen. What has changed since then and now? Not really technology. The, the firearms technology of the, of the 40s and 50s is basically the same as it is today, believe it or not. What has changed? Italy, and by that, I mean the technology that's available to citizens today. Our morals, our standards, or lack thereof, that's changed. Families have been annihilated. Our own understanding of ourselves and our worth as human beings has been perverted by lunacy like evolution and race baiting. And there are some of these mass shooters that have put evolution as one of the causes. I'm just an animal. What does it matter? Which is, I mean, a logical conclusion if you believe that nonsense. We are a lost and godless people. That's why school shootings happen. That's why this sort of insanity and these acts of evil take place. You know what they have in Chinese schools? They have mass stabbings. Similar issues are common in England and other places around the world where guns are not allowed. Evil is not stopped by taking away law-abiding citizens' right to defend themselves. It only emboldens evil. 
So we've already alluded to bombings, car attacks, plane attacks, etc. If someone wishes to do harm, they will find a way, even if guns somehow magically disappeared off the planet. The real issue at play here is tyranny. We've talked about it before. A disarmed populace is one that can be controlled. A disarmed populace has no real, tangible, physical protection against tyranny. Laws can be ignored. Checks and balances can be destroyed. People can be paid off. Cops can be corrupted. But a gun is a real physical protection. Tyrants weigh their chances just like everyone else. And an armed populace push the odds in our favor. A heavily armed and disciplined moral populace makes the odds a million to one that a tyrant can succeed. We could bring up the disarmament and the brutalization of people of the Soviet Union and Nazi Germany. More recently, and just the last couple of years, Canada and Australia. There's one example you've probably never heard. This is from an historical account in the Bible. In 1 Samuel 13, verses 19 to 22, the Israelites are preparing to fight the Philistines. But let's read these brief verses, and I'll probably skip part of it. But starting in verse 19, and you can read this for yourself if you'd like. Now there was no blacksmith to be found throughout all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, lest the Hebrews make swords or spears. But all the Israelites would go down to the Philistines to sharpen each man's plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his sickle. And it talks about the charges for, for sharpening these things to set the points of goads. Uh, and then take note of this. So it came about on the day of battle that there was neither sword nor spear found in the hand of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. And it goes on to talk about Saul and Jonathan did have a sword or spear. They did have some weapons. But they were the only ones in the entire army. That was the New King James Version, by the way. Very interesting case of what you might call gun control in ancient Israel. Now, of course, it's it's somewhat humorous <laughs> to say um, to call this gun control, right? But at the same time, it hopefully you can see the parallel there. It is in effect gun control, except what were the weapons they had then? They had swords and spears, and even then, the Philistines could see the wisdom in uh, controlling the armaments of this populace that they had overtaken now there are as far as i know some other cases of that happening in ancient history um it is of course there's this case here it wasn't as common but there are other reasons for that uh, you have to think um, i'll just briefly mention a couple of them here for you to think about um you got to realize that having a standing army was uh, much more difficult and much more expensive a large standing army um so enforcing that sort of stuff could be extremely difficult, but also it meant that oftentimes, especially kings that were in charge of large countries that absorbed others, would depend upon local militias and local armies to help bolster their own forces. The Romans even did that. Um, so like you wouldn't want to necessarily disarm everyone, um, even if you could, but also it would be extremely difficult to pull off. Travel is difficult. There's just a lot of things that made it less practical. Um, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. And, of course, here is a great example, uh, the relatively small area in Israel, that they could actually effectively do that. Um, but even then, it's ironic to note that uh, Saul and Jonathan still managed to get their hands on some swords or some weapons. And, of course, in that account, it helps emphasize God's deliverance of the Israelites in the in the battle that follows. But uh, hopefully you can you can see that principle there. This is nothing new because we're not talking— there, uh, the Song of not Song of Solomon, um, Ecclesiastes talks about there's no new thing under the sun, and of course there's things that develop, but when it comes to general rules and general principles and evil and good, there really isn't anything that changes. It may its appearance may change, right? 
the cosmetics might change a little bit, but it turns out to be the same thing. And that and that's a great example. The tyrants will still try and control people and control their armaments is one of the key ways to do that. But uh, that's a couple things to think about. Of course, you could go into more with why it wasn't as common there, but that's a couple things. Um, and that's what this is all about. A control, right? The politicization of these tragedies, the gradual bits of legislation that make one more attachment arbitrarily illegal. It makes guns a little bit harder to get, etc. It's all about disarmament and control. Thinking back to our uh, our title, um, does gun control is gun control ever a good idea? You can think about does gun control work? Is it a good option? Right? It works. It is a good option for evil tyrannical people. It works to give them basically a blank check. It's a good option for people that want to control other folks, for tyrants, for evil people that might... That you think about it, it's evil and horrible when somebody goes into a, into a, a grocery store or a school and shoots some people. That is awful. It's horrible. It's a tragedy. And yet gun control enables a government that can do it across the country, that can do it across... Countless cities and towns and schools and, and anywhere else. And it's happened in history before, as we've talked about. And it can happen here. Don't ever convince yourself to think that it can't happen here, because it can. And right now, we're getting closer and closer to it every single day. You're giving them a blank check to do whatever you want, and you can't stop them. It's horrible when one person does what they can, but imagine what an entire government and army can do if they have a mind to and there's nothing that can stand in their way. And if we are disarmed, there is nothing that will stand in their way. Even if there is some way to stop them, the loss of life and destruction will be far more horrible than it would have been and honestly might have been able to have been completely avoided if we had stayed armed. Disarmament of a populace has consistently led to the greatest tragedies in history and the greatest loss of life. Millions upon millions of lives have been extinguished because the populace was disarmed. And billions more, billions more, have been hounded to desolation and slavery because they were disarmed. Never, ever let it happen here. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode, and I hope that you've learned something. Like I said, I know some people may know a lot of what I'm talking about, but I realize that there are many that probably don't. Please share this episode. Don't forget about our Facebook page, our Instagram, and our Gab pages. And those are great places to contact me, by the way, if you've got questions, feedback, or so on. Don't forget that we also have a YouTube channel. And if you'd like to support me in a more personal way, my Patreon is linked below with the rest of the things that I just mentioned. And remember that taking just a moment right now to share this with someone takes very little effort on your part, but it helps me tremendously. So why don't you go and do that right now? And as you go and do that, remember that as long as you and I are doing what's right, we make a real difference in this old world. The Kentuckian trying to make a difference one person at a time.